Welcome to the Brew Files from Experimental Brewing, our quick hit series where we focus on fundamental aspects of brewing, including styles, techniques, and recipes. More brew, more flavor, more stories, less time, and less ukulele. On this episode, it's been two years of us doing this little show. I know, right? And it puts me in mind of how to celebrate an anniversary. Since the folks at Eagle Rock Brewing in Glassell Park are celebrating their ninth anniversary on January 26th, I sat down with Jeremy Raub at the brewery's lively public house to discuss how they went about making their ninth anniversary beer, Plan 9 Imperial Pilsner. And along the ways, I learned a few new ways they're using amylase enzymes to carve out new flavor profiles and not just make more brute IPA. So sit back and let's learn how to do this. But first, a message from our sponsors. The American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 45,000 individuals who share a common passion, beer. Since 1978, the AHA has promoted and advanced the most delicious hobby in the world, providing brewing resources, supporting homebrewer-friendly legislation, offering exclusive member deals at breweries and homebrew shops, and hosting one-of-a-kind events like HomebrewCon and the National Homebrew Competition. Join your beer-loving peers at homebrewersassociation.org. Family-owned Atlantic Brew Supply is the biggest homebrew shop in the Southeast. No gimmicks, no multinational corporate overlords, and no BS. Unique ingredients from local suppliers, including malt from neighboring artisan malt house Epiphany Craft Malts and award-winning recipe kits, including the Toll, Raleigh Brewing Company's GABF-winning Imperial Oatmeal Stout, Plus, we've got pro-level equipment and the best-in-cask supply equipment from sister companies ABS Commercial and Cask Supply. Malts, extracts, and more, all available by the ounce, an on-site calculator to help you craft your best brew, same-day order processing, and guaranteed two-day shipping for East Coast customers. Get 15% off your first order when you use the coupon code BREWFILES at checkout at Atlantic Brew Supply. Getting accurate measurements of your beer is one of the keys to improving your brewing. The Pro Series Hydrometers from Brewing America will help you help your beer. These American-made NIST traceable hydrometers are accurate, easy to read, and the kits come with a cleaning brush and cloth and a borosilicate test flask that uses half the sample size of most flasks. That means less beer for testing and more beer for you. Brewing America is a small, family-owned business of husband and wife veterans, so when you buy a Brewing America hydrometer, you're not only getting a great piece of equipment, you're supporting the people who support America. Brewing America hydrometers are available on Amazon or at www.brewingamerica.com. Well, hey guys, I am sitting here at the Eagle Rock Brewery Public House uh, in Eagle Rock, California. And across the way I have for me, uh, my good friend Jeremy. Jeremy, say hi to everybody. Hi, Drew. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so the reason that we're, uh, that we're talking about this is it's anniversary time. So as this episode airs of The Brew Files, this will be two full years of The Brew Files show going on. Cool. Yes. Congratulations. Yeah, it's amazing. 
while I've been doing this for two years, you've been at this game for just a little bit longer now. Where are we at? Uh, so we're actually had our official like nine year brewing anniversary back in November, 2009. I remember that brew day was long. Oh yeah. It's like a 19 hour (laughs) brew day. I think, um, they're much shorter these days. Yeah. We generally just, it's like the president's day observed and then the, you know, the actual day. Yeah. Like we, we kind of observe our anniversary later because holidays and there's also another reason is that like we started being able to brew in November of 2009 but the taproom license we didn't get fully worked out until February 2010. So, you know, it's sort of like halfway between or maybe two-thirds of the way in between. Well, well to be fair, I mean, you guys were the, the first brewery that opened up in a dog's age in L.A. and the city had no clue how to deal with it. Yeah, um, that's true. Uh, when we opened up in the city of L.A., there probably in all of L.A. County, there was like maybe eight other breweries. And almost all of them were brew pubs. Yeah, that's true. Now there's like around 90 in LA County. Other than just the sheer number of people who are now brewing, what do you, what have been some of the changes that you that you've seen? Um, in terms of like the culture, uh, there's been a, a a lot of changes, and you know, probably the biggest change is the uh, education of the consumer base. So you know, when we were opening up, we you know. You and I were, had been friends. We've been homebrewing together, and um, w- we knew in planning for the brewery that there was a solid base of of, um, of support for having a, a, a beer community in the city. And and so, um, but most of those people, that solid base, albeit small, um, were homebrewers or you know, industry people already. And so, um, you know, in other words, working in, in the beer or service or, you know, the choir. The, the, yes. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so the, one of the biggest differences between then and now is, is just the, the education of the consumer base. It's you, you really can go up to almost any, any person in a bar or restaurant and say, what's your favorite beer style? And, you know, they they will be able to name uh, you know multiple beer styles and understand what that means whereas you know 9 years ago that that was not the case people would you know they they just say well i don't like beer or you know the the, the answers uh were a lot less diverse back 9 years ago and now there's people who i hear i overhear people at bars and restaurants explaining beer styles to other people they're like Oh yeah, Goza. This is a this particular style of beer. They'll you know they'll they'll know about it. And and in most cases, when I hear people like describing a beer style to somebody else, I'm like, yeah, they're right. Cool. It's not you know they're they're not like talking out there. Now, one of the things I was thinking about was also thinking when you guys first started, you had I think it was four four or five core beers first six months it was just three because i mean there was manifesto uh the the wit beer uh there was what revolution the x the xpa now session ipa or however you want, however you want to think about it uh and then eventually uh, what uh, and solidarity which i've talked on this podcast before is one of my favorite beers ever 
Thank you. Well, every time I see it, I still get a point of it. Um, and then eventually Populous came on, the IPA, and that sort of, that seemed, it seems like when Populous came on, that, that was sort of an inflection point because that's when you guys started to change yep. and become more flexible. So, and I think what Populous is one of the cores now. It is, yeah. And what's the, what's the other core? Manifesto. Manifesto. So Manifesto is still hanging in there. And, but now you guys have a much more uh, playful side. I don't think I would have thought from the beginning that you'd be tackling as many, well, I mean, nobody thought about hazy, hazy things back in the day because they didn't exist. Um, well, they were called something different, right? But also, you guys have also leaned pretty heavily into doing lagery, pilsnery beers. What started you guys down that path? It was, I've always, like, I've always had an appreciation for, for lagers, um, and, and really everyone on our brew team has. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's like when you're a home brewer and you're learning the basics, um, one of the things that, you know, you learn early on, I, I think, uh, and, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's, a, it's wrong, but, you know, you, I learned early on that, oh, lagers are harder to brew. You know, there's, there's less kind of margin for error and, you know, there, you have to have better temperature control and um, they take longer. And so there were these sort of intimidation factors for me. And I got into doing some homebrewed lagers, but not until I had been homebrewing for a bunch of years already um, and felt confident. Um, and so, you know, starting up a new brewery, it was like, well, geez, I don't, I don't know. Like, let's do what we know is working and, and at least and not tie up our tanks. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah. So, um, I guess it was probably around, uh, hmm, trying to think of date range. Um, I don't know, probably like four or five years in, I guess. Um, we started playing around with it and we had, we had done actually through the Doug King, the Maltos Falcons, Doug King Memorial competition. Um, we had done some loggers early on and, um, and you know, they turned out great. So that, that broke down a little bit of that, that, uh, intimidation factor in terms of doing it commercially. Um, and then we, we were playing around during our session fest, which is a, an annual event we do that, uh, basically I challenge all of the people on our staff, including bartenders and non brewing staff that they have to brew a beer. Um, and that can be anything they want, but it just has to be a session beer. So under four and a half percent ABV, under five, but really better if it's under four and a half percent. Um, and then, you know, we help them put together a recipe and, and brew it. So during session fest, um, Eric Garcia, who at that time was our brewmaster, um, we, we were making a beer already called umlaut and, uh, essentially like a Kolsch style beer. So, uh, and fermented with an ale yeast, but cold and meant to kind of be in the, in the range of a lager flavor wise, uh, but using an ale yeast and shorter tank times, etc. So, um, so Eric for session fest said, well, I'm going to try taking some wort stream from umlaut and ferment it with, you know, ferment 10 gallons of it with a lager strain. And he did that. And, uh, we were tasting it during session fest and we were just like, we looked at each other. We're like, what are we doing, man? This is like, we need to be doing lager. Like, 
then that was basically the end of umlaut um <laughs> so so long umlaut yeah so uh we called it a pilsner-esque ale and then we kind of figured out like man it's let's just make a pilsner like <laughs> yeah let's drop the esque and the ale and just go for it yeah and so that's the beer that eventually morphed into into amwolf um and and now amwolf is essentially a year-round beer um Populist and Manifesto are year-round beers for us. And then Amwolf, we brew year-round. The only sort of exceptions are when there's a, a seasonal lager that we're doing that's kind of in that same mm-hmm. marketable space, like a, a lighter lager. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll kind of sub that out in the brewing rotation. So, well, And the reason that we need to talk about Amwolf is to get into the theme of the episode. Because we are talking about anniversary stuff, and we are talking about your ninth anniversary, you have a anniversary party coming up. That, what are the, de- the details on it? Um, so the anniversary party is going to be uh, on January 26th, which is the last Saturday in January. Um, it's going to be from noon to 6 p.m. It's going to be at 3056 Roswell Street, which is our, our brewery location. Um, we get the parking lot permitted um, so we can have beers out there. Um, and we'll have, you know, tents set up and food and jockey boxes set up outside. Uh, so it'll be a very festive, uh, fun atmosphere from the first year we kind of got into the tradition of making a special anniversary beer. Um, and so this year we're actually going to do, uh, an Imperial Pilsner, um, basically like super Amwolf. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and the name. The name, um, so it's our nine-year anniversary, so we were kind of brainstorming on ideas for that, and uh, for, for some reason, we thought, wow, how come we've never done anything that pokes fun at our street name, Roswell Street, like, you know, and so, hey, Plan 9, Plan 9 from Outer Space, it kind of seemed like a fun idea uh, to kind of run with. So, so yeah, we're going to do a uh, kind of kitschy uh outer space theme for for our anniversary party it's funny we we watched the plan nine from outer space directed by ed wood mm-hmm. um and it's just one of those like cl- classic films which it's a movie that's so bad that it's good enough to actually be bad again that's <laughs> a very well spoken yeah yeah as we were watching it Ting and i were thinking this is so bad that it's not really good but it's like you said, it kind of comes back around. It just loops right back around in the bad. But you enjoy yourself at least while you're watching it. Fortunately, I, I have good faith that the the Plan Nine beer will not suffer the same fate of being so so bad that it comes back good and right back through to bad again. Oh dear God, no way! Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's one of the advantages of of being around for for so long as a brewery and, and surviving um, is you know, being able to, to up the quality game on, on all the beers that we do and all of our process. Um, and, you know, continually learn about how we can keep improving. So, um, so yeah, I mean, definitely really proud of, of the beers we have, uh, right now. And, uh, um, you know, that this, uh, plan nine is, is currently in the fermenter as we speak. So I haven't, uh, tasted it yet, but I'm, I'm confident it's going to be, it's going to be pretty killer. You, you had said that essentially the Plan 9 is an amped up 
version of Anvil, right? That basis. Correct, yeah. So let's talk what's in Amwolf as a beer, like, you know, the, the, the specifics and how you go about turning that around and imperializing it. Cause it's not just as simple as just going, okay, we're just going to do more of everything. Right. So Amwolf is a German style Pilsner. And we, we, uh, you know, tried, Hey, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Like we've had plenty of delicious, actual German Pilsners and, you know, they, they keep the recipe really simple, like 100% German Pilsner malt or nearly 100% German Pilsner malt. Um, so we use um, typically like 95% Pilsner malt and then a little bit of acidulated and a little bit of carafoam. Um, and, and that's it. Um, and then uh, for hops, we we generally try to um, generally try to stick with German varieties as well. Um, let me see. Uh, Looking at the beer in the glass, I mean, yeah, this is it's pale yellow, you know, gold tones to it. Not, but nothing aggressive. It doesn't look like it's going to be a heavy beer. You got brilliant clarity to it and good good solid carbonation with that like really brilliant white foam that comes up into those tight bubbles. The thing you want in a Pilsner. So with Amwolf being 11 Play-Doh as a start, you know, so that's what, like 1044 ish, 1045 ish. And you said 95% Pilsner with some uh, care, care foam and some acidulated malt to control the, the pH of the mash. How does that change when you're going to plan nine? Like what do you, what are your considerations when you're, when you're looking at making that? So, um, like similar to the way we approach most of our recipes, um, you know, they, they start out with the idea for the beer and then kind of work backwards from there. So we thought, well, you know, an anniversary beer, it, I, I think probably some people would cry foul if we came out with a beer like Amwell for an anniversary beer, which is like below 5%. And it's, <laughs> you know, where's my special clean and crisp. Yeah. Right. So like, we thought, well, you know, higher alcohol generally that's like makes it special, makes a lot of beers special in in that sense. Um, you know, a little bit harder to to brew, a little takes a little bit more time. Um, so we thought, okay, a ten percent pilsner, imperial pilsner, sounds like you know we don't want to go above that. It's it might ten percent sounds beefy. Yeah, it's definitely beefy. Um, and so, but we still want it to be enjoyable and not like something that you really have to chew through. And we don't want to have like, have it be boozy and, and something that, you know, you, you, uh, struggle to get through a glass of it. So, um, we've been having a lot of fun. Um, so, so basically we want this beer to be, uh, lighter bodied than you might expect, uh, an imperial pilsner to be right. We want it to to have that crisp quality. That uh, you still you still want it to read it as a pilsner and not as a overamped mybach or something like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I guess that's what I was trying to say. So, well, you're more eloquent of a speaker than I am. <laughs> um, and so we've been having a lot of fun uh, playing around with some of the new brewing tools that are becoming available to small brewers. So one of those is, um, 
is that the amylase enzyme um, that a lot of a lot of brewers are making brute IPAs with, and you know us included, we we've, we've made some brute IPAs, um, and and the whole idea behind the enzyme is that it it allows you to get more what more efficient conversion, more more short chain sugars out of your mash, right? So better fermentability, definitely. And I would say too, just from like a technical brewing standpoint, they give you more short chain fermentable sugars than if you mash at like a super low temperature, you know, 148 maybe. And, um, especially for us with our limitations on our mash ton, you know, it's, we cannot heat our mash ton. It's single arrest infusion. You guys still have that old tank it's, for it's, Alesmith. It's like a, yeah, it's like a giant homebrew system basically. Yeah. For the record, they use a Alesmith's old, uh, flat dairy tank and yeah, completely unheatable. I hate that thing. <laughs> no, you just hate graining out of it. <laughs> Same thing. Um, so, you know, for us, it, it really would make our brew day uh, a lot more difficult to, to brew a big beer like that where you have to use a lot more um, malt and then doing it at a lower temperature. You're just kind of asking for a, a slow or stuck runoff. So, so you got more weight, more time, more risk for arguably less good results. Yeah. And the thing that the enzyme, uh, really allows you to do is, I mean, like our brute IPA, for instance, finishes at negative 0.5 Play-Doh. Like, I mean, I, I, I don't know from, you know, traditional Saccharomyces strains and I don't know any way to get a beer to finish that low without, you know, <laughs> it's the perfect beer for the LA desert. Yeah, right. So, I mean, you know, maybe maybe some some Brett strains uh, can super attenuate down. Bel- but then you but then you have all the carry through with Brett. Right. You've got that other the the flavors that you know. If that's not the goal to have those those that flavor profile, then that's you know mm-hmm. that's undesirable. So, you know, the 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 Amelo has been really fun to to play with, um, and it's the the BSG. Amelo 300 or whatever. Yeah, that's whatever. Right. Yep. Um, yeah, there's definitely other other uh, suppliers of that. that yeah. Well, wait, I mean, White Labs has their uh, Ultra Firm, I think it is, that you can use as well. And that might be more available to homebrewers than the BSG stuff. But even the BSG stuff at a, at a good homebrew store is going to be available. You just need to keep an eye out for it. That's true, yeah. Um, but so, you know, we with our Brute IPA, for instance, it is, like I said, it finishes at like a negative... Play-Doh, it's below zero, <laughs> zero Play-Doh. Um, and, you know, the result is extremely dry and extremely light-bodied. So it almost, like, you drink it, it goes away, and then you're exhaling hops. So we we kind of had fun playing around with that, and instead of going for that end result, using it but doing two different brew lengths and only using the enzyme on one brew length. Um, that way, you know, you lighten the body, um, and you still have some body left, um, from the, the other brew length. Right. Well, I mean, now you're, now you're moving into the mystical world of blending. And I know a lot of the early instructions on brewed IPA said, Hey, add it to the fermenter, but people have been changing that because the, the, the real rules of amylase and enzymes are normally that goes into the mash 
and then it gets killed off in the boil so that you know you have stability post boil right so this is the reason why you can do a a post ferment blend and not have the amylo attack the other batch that still has yeah yeah that's one of the things too that like we had before we tried making a brood ipa um our, ourselves we had tried some and and you know there were a couple that we had where we thought well this is a complete diacetyl bomb what what happened we know the brewers we know like they typically this w- would not happen and then in talking with them finding out the process it kind of made sense because like you know you can finish clean fermentation do your forced diacetyl uh, and pass and then that enzyme keeps working and unless you're sterile filtering or pasteurizing your beer, there's going to be a little bit of yeast left. As soon as those sugars are broken down and available to the yeast, they're going to continue fermenting and producing those diacetyl precursors. And eventually, boom, you got, you got butter beer. So yeah. while they don't have enough uh, glycogen reserves in order to be able to do the cleanup and everything. So they're just exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and so basically in the fermenter on the cold side, it won't denature. And if you, don't you know depending on how your cip process is after you've got that beer out of the tank um those enzymes can't they have to be heat denatured so you, if you're just relying on chemical you know and your temperature isn't where it should be for a cip then it can carry over to the next beer and you know you, always fun you got you got problems so that's why yeah we decided to so we we've got amylf bigified so um did, did you? I know you said with the the brewed IPA that's dropping down into a negative Plato. So when you were saying, okay, we're going to have a ten percent, I assume you had to put fudge in some factor in your head to say, okay, ten percent. Also assuming that half this beer is now going to ferment out even further. Yeah, it's kind of like doing math at like a moving target and trying to figure out where that's going to be when you're halfway to that target. <laughs> like well, it's like doing ballet on an ice skating rink that's on a ship that's going down. Yeah, I mean it's. It's it's doable, but it's uh, you know a little bit a little bit tricky. But luckily, we've already done a couple of beers this way. Where I should mention, we have thirty barrel fermenters and a fifteen barrel mm-hmm. um, kettle. So two brew lengths into one fermenter allow us that ability to to kind of split this process up. Um, so we've already done a, a few beers this way um, and and had good results. Uh, one of those was a double IPA, and we were just really happy with the way that you know kind of half using the enzyme on half lightened the body enough that it wasn't heavy and it wasn't cloying and it didn't it didn't overwhelm your palate and yet by not doing it on the full batch you're not getting that into that uber dry territory where then it's it's giving you something different right right exactly and it kind of thing i like about it is it's sort of using that enzyme can help you kind of carve a hole where other flavors, i.e., you know, hop aromatics can, can poke through. Um, instead of just trying to like thinking about it in terms of, of like music, like, you know, if we're making super amulf, instead of just turning the volume knob and making everything louder, Mm -hmm. you know, take some of the elements down a little bit and, so when you're turning up, you don't have to turn everything up. You can just turn up, you know, say the guitar solo or whatever it is that you're, you want to feature at that particular time. So, so you're, you're writing the faders. Yeah. You know, this is a little, little mix, 
mix mastering. So with the plan nine, what is what was your intention you know by carving that hole what are you trying to emphasize are you trying to get more noble hop character out there or yeah a little more hop impact um which one of the things that that can happen um it doesn't always obviously but in in some imperialized beers you know that the malt can get in the way a little bit of the other aspects of the beer um and or the alcohol can get in the way of the other aspects sometimes as well so well, i mean when you have that much malt if you're not going for like a sugar addition like you're trying to make a duval or something yeah yeah that uh, yeah i mean you, you start to get into that that place where they start to taste like a little bit of golden syrup you know yeah exactly and i mean and it feels like to me by doing this technique with half with the amylase enzyme half without you are kind of doing something similar to the hey you know add 10 20 simple sugar to the beer Instead of adding 10, 20% simple sugar, which is going to undercut a whole bunch of other things in there, you've still got all those barley proteins and everything else that's in there. You've just forced the barley to, to produce its own simple sugar. Yeah, that's, that's one of the things, too, that, I mean, I, so we, we did a collaboration with Mason Aleworks and, and Kern River Brewing Company at Mason Aleworks in San Marcos, um, a brewed IPA called brute wayne um and they did a, the cold side edition of the enzymes but they also used maturex which is um an enzyme that will help uh, block the formation of diacetyl so i thought that was kind of a cool twist what do you think the advantage is to them um i guess doing it uh, adding the enzyme on the the hot side will lengthen your brew day a bit um so there's there's one advantage there having a bit shorter brew day. Um, but also I think what you just mentioned about, um, you know, how that enzyme, what the effect is on all the other elements in the beer, the proteins and, um, aromatics and these other elements that in terms of like the, you know, the proteins, how those affect body, it's, it's kind of interesting to, you know, we're still learning about how, to use this enzyme in different ways and, and how to um, not just use it in, in the way to make like say a brewed IPA, but to use it in, in different ways to kind of reach the goal that we want with a particular beer. Um, so, you know, I thought that was a, a fun twist on it. Um, and I want to sit down. If the Brute Wayne is really nice. Um, the, the hops they used are, are a lot like fruitier, um, kind of more, Southern Hemisphere hops, kind of that like tropical and a little bit um, grape and melon kind of character to them. Um, so that kind of presents this perception of sweetness in the in there in a way. Well, yeah. I mean, anytime you get that big fruit character, your brain's automatically thinking sweet. Totally, and it's kind of a cool juxtaposition because it's you have this dryness, and then it's like, wait, is that sweetness? What am I getting? And um, it's the weirdest candy in the world. Yeah, really. <laughs> So anyways, I kind of digressed there a little bit. Um, but I guess my point with that digression is that, you know, it's we are having a lot of fun playing around with this enzyme and, and using it in ways to just explore new territory um, in terms of the beers that we make and kind of the range of beers that we already make, but trying to take them a little bit further. Yeah, I mean, it's like you have a different spice now in your spice cabinet, so you know, then, I mean, that works. <laughs> Got to play. <laughs> now, in addition to the Plan 9, uh, 
you know, when you talked about the session fest earlier, you were talking like how you gave your employees the chance to go and create their own recipes for the anniversary party. Are you doing kind of a similar thing where it's like, okay, now, okay, great. We got our core. We've got, you know, the, the special beer, you know, the, the big mama now filling out the rest of that flight. Uh, how's that look? We're at a cool point right now. Um, in terms of the tap room at the brewery, um, last year. And so this actually, it's 2019 now, um, in, in early 2017. So almost two years ago now we added an additional eight taps. Mm-hmm. You know what we were noticing new breweries would open around town and we'd be like, wow, how do they have 20 taps or like 12 taps or, and it's all, you know, it's all their own beers. Um, we thought, yeah, that you, it really is important. Like the, the, the new craft beer consumer wants more variety and they don't just want to go to a brewery and see like say four of their beers on tap and mm-hmm. you know, they want to taste around a lot more. So, um, so adding those eight taps was, was, uh, really fun for us, but it took us a little while to build up the inventory to be able to fill those. So, um, in 2018, we got a uh, expansion to our cold box, our cold storage facility, um, and so we were able to build some inventory on the specialty one-off beers that we were doing throughout the year. And you were able to return solidarity. Exactly. That's one of the you know we we could brew it, and then one of the reasons we had to stop making that beer was we had no place to store it, and we couldn't it couldn't stay in a tank because we needed those tanks. It had to go out to the distributor immediately as soon as it was finished and put into kegs or cans or bottles, whatever. So now, you know, we can brew a batch and have it in our inventory and then put that on in the tap room. Mm-hmm. That all means that right now in our tap room, we have 16 unique beers that are all Eagle Rock beers. Um, so those, uh, that's going to contribute to what we have available at the anniversary party. So we'll probably have about 20 beers on tap for the anniversary party. You guys are still being very playful because, I mean, obviously you have your sour program like the with the Tartanars and the Yearlings and, and that. Uh, and what there's the, the new one, the uh, Rosé Goza. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Rosé Goza is oh, oh, just sorry. to have a little, Goze. a little more fun with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, it's, it's funny. Um, we... I, I like having fun with, with beer names and, you know, everyone on our team really does. Um, we made a beer a couple of years ago and maybe we were all feeling a little bit uninspired and we just said, okay, we'll call it Brown Porter. Um, fine, you know, simple, whatever, no big deal. <laughs> and then our distributor was like, yeah, guys, you know, maybe have a little more fun with the names <laughs> because when I'm go into an account and I say, Oh, there's this beer. What does Eagle rock have? And, um, you know, the account's excited cause they're like, Oh, I like Eagle rock beers. They always make good stuff. And then, and then they have to say Brown, Brown Porter. Porter. Hmm. You know, okay, well give me the, you know, electric Kool-Aid by so-and-so, you know, like it was like, okay, good point. Like we, we should definitely keep having fun with the names and, and <laughs> not, not feel like, you know, it's take a moment to have the beer and, and zen out and be playful. Yeah. I mean, beer, you know, beer should be fun. 
So I gotta say, I I really dig the sort of the different take on the on the amylase, and I think this is actually something that that, that people should play with because I like that idea of like being able to either during the mash or you know post hoc fermentation you know, like change that character profile and just adjust it a little bit. But I think this still feels so new to me, like you know, to try and figure out like how exactly does that work and how does that work for you and seeing it'll be interesting to see the plan nine to see in comparison to the sam wolf you know which does have that very nice dry and very sort of a pleasant spicy noble hop character right along the sides of the tongue as opposed to like a big burst of bitterness right it's it's very hoppy don't don't get me wrong but i mean it's you know that american west coast kind of modern palette this is but this but in comparison to that palette i mean this does feel relatively soft but it, it, it's it's very appropriate. So now what I want to see is with the Plan 9, just to see that impact of the amylase enzyme, to see how that changes what the overall feeling is. Take away that syrupiness. Like so many Imperial Pilsners I've had, you know, really are just, you know, gold barley wines. Yeah, yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see how that actually carves out that room that you were talking about and see how that hop expression changes even at that big monster level no, I'm, I'm really excited for this one um you know you you were mentioning the the rosé gosé um and so we're we're using the the enzyme in that as well mm-hmm. um and and that that beer is like super process intensive so we can't it doesn't make sense for us to do a 30 barrel batch like it would be it would take like seven full days i think to, to brew that um just to get it into the fermenter. Um, so basically what we do with that is, is we do uh, a kettle souring. And so, you know, like I mentioned, we, our, our mash ton, we doesn't make sense. We, we can't do anything like that's, that's too cool on the, on the, in the, in the mash range of things. So we do a regular, um, regular runoff, get it into the kettle. We, uh, circulate through the heat exchanger to get it down to, to temperature range to be able to pitch some lacto. And the first four or five times we made a, a kettle sour, we were adding yogurt to the kettle as a source of lactobacillus. Um, we, we now have a vegan on our brewing team. So it was important to us to like, Hey, he should be able to drink all the beers we make, you know? So we found a, a, a vegan source for lactobacillus there's these this probiotic drink called Belly Shots, and it's uh, has uh, I think it's Lactobacillus plantarum. It's like a sourced from Lactobacillus. It's just naturally on the skins of fruit. So we we get we do a mash, we get it into the kettle, we get it down to temperature, we pitch Belly Shots in, and then we seal up our kettle, um, purge it with CO2, get any potential oxygen out close up the, the kettle stack and then let it sit for two days to uh, so, re- Friday brew Monday, uh, Monday finish. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, ideally I should say <laughs> not always the case, but ideally, and then, um, you know, that pH drop happens and then we come back, start to bring it up to temperature a little bit, add the enzyme, mm-hmm. let that convert for like, you know, up to an hour basically in the kettle. Then we go all the way up to a boil. Um, and then 
get it into the fermenter, and then we add fruit, um, which gives it the nice color and, and a little bit more flavor to it. Um, and it's a fruit puree, Oregon fruit puree uh, product. Um, but one of the things is we didn't want to add the enzyme. Like if we had added it cold side, then that fruit puree it would, would go in. Yeah, it would act on that. So. You know, it's one of those things about playing around with process and, and kind of blending and figuring out a way to get to what your goal is. Um, but, you know, maybe using the tools you have in a, in a different way than other people are using them. So. And so the real hope there is that you, by using the enzyme on the hot side, not only do you get the, all the sourness from lactobacillus, but then you drop out all the, you know, a lot of the malt complexly, let's yeah, say. almost all of the malt yeah. character. Turn it into simple, uh, simple sugar, then you get the simple sugars from the fruit. So it should, in theory, allow the fruit character to shine more, allow the acid to shine more. And then after the neutral fermentation, boom, there you go. Rosé. <laughs> it, it, put your, it put your bubbles on it and go. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's funny, like when we finished um, that first batch of it, we were all tasting the finished beer and... uh we're like, wow, this is really good and refreshing. And Lee goes, well, guys, I think we made uh, Smirnoff Ice. You know, <laughs> like, kind of, you know, well, in a way. joking in a way. But, like, it, it's kind of incredible how much you can drop out that malt character with with the enzyme and, and how you're using it. So, yeah. Well, I mean, look, I mean, to me, I think the amazing part is you're nine years into this game and you're still finding new things to play with, new things to do, and you know, new techniques to, to drop in on people. So what I really mean to say then to everybody out there in listening land is if you want to try the products that have been, have been done by some of these techniques that we're talking about, if you want to see what it's like to take you know, that Pilsner and turn it into something bigger, then you got no better opportunity than to show up in Glassell Park on you know, 3056 Roswell on January 26th at noon. We'll include a, a link to the tickets in the uh, show notes so that you can come out and support well, one of the L.A. County's oldest craft breweries and well, the oldest craft brewery in L.A. City. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see you there. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Brew Files. We hope that you enjoyed this dive into anniversary beer making and particularly the use of amylase enzyme to create holes in the flavor profiles to fill with other goodies. What do you think? Going to give it a shot and make your own impacts? I think it's time to experiment. And in the meanwhile, don't forget you can join Eagle Rock for their anniversary party on January 26th in Glassell Park and buy your tickets at eaglerockbrewery.com. Now remember, if you have show ideas, styles, brewers, techniques, ingredients, etc., you can drop us a line at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. You can reach us at denny at experimentalbrew.com or drew at experimentalbrew.com. You can find us on Twitter at EXP Brewing, on Instagram, on Facebook, Reddit, and just about every homebrew forum out there. And don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. Click the AHA, brewswag.com, code experimental, Amazon, Brewers, Friends, or BYO links on the website. And by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year is still being determined. So stick by, we're going to have a charity for you guys real soon. Until next time, remember, the brew is out there, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Brew Files.
Explore the history of tart, fruity, and refreshing Goza-style beer with the latest book from Brewer's Publication, Goza, Brewing a Classic German Beer for the Modern Era. Written by award-winning veteran brewer Fal Allen, Goza includes 27 recipes including Sea Quench Sour from Dogfish Head Craft Brewery and Reuben Brewer's 2017 Great American Beer Festival gold medal winning Goza. Right now, Brewer's Publications is giving experimental homebrewing listeners a discount on Goza. Go to brewerspublications.com and use code EXPERIMENTAL to take 20% off Goza. That's right, you'll save 20% when you use code EXPERIMENTAL at brewerspublications.com. 